please. Father, thank you for this time together, and it is quite an occasion. We are thrilled to be here. We know you are thrilled that we are also. And so tonight, we just praise you for this chance to be back, to be able to be in this place, to know that that this place was so welcome to us. They wanted to fill this place tonight. They wanted us to be here on Tuesday evening. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we also know that you have plans for every one of us who are going to open to the book of James in these five weeks. Father, we know it's summer but, Lord, we know we cannot take a vacation from you. And sometimes we just need this accountability to make sure that our Bibles are open and they stay that way. Father, we know it is crucial that we hear these words from James tonight and that they just keep re reverberating through our minds and our souls because they are such great instructions for us. So we come to you tonight expecting big things because you are a big God. I think I thank you for everyone that you prodded, that you wanted here. And so you made sure that their calendar was cleared. Otherwise, they made it a priority because they know how important this is. Father, we also thank you for the podcast and for how so many were committed to that during these 15 and a half months. Lord, we, we really didn't have any excuse. We made sure that there was something that we could go to and we could connect with. And Lord, we know that where there's a will for you, where there's a desire for you, you make a way. But now we're back. And to hear the songs tonight, to be able to say, Oh, hail King Jesus. You are worthy of our praise. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the cross tonight. And we thank you for instruction so that we can live the kind of life you so desire for us. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen. All right. Okay, how many of you have your Bibles with you? I hope you do. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. That's for sure. And that's why we studied this book. All right. James chapter 1. Now, um, if you want questions, if you do well during the week with questions, then, then this is the only time I'm going to say that because you will have a hard copy in the fall of our study. But just for these five weeks, if you want questions, you just have to go to the website, linnellpierce.com, and you can see resources. And on those under resources, you click that, and you will find any book of the Bible practically I wrote questions for. So you will find James if that's what you want, if that's that's how you really study well, then you just go to resources and the questions will be there for James. Otherwise, my real assignment for you, of course, is the one I always give you, and that is read that passage, read that chapter every day. And then by the time you come here and you've read it six or seven times, and maybe you've even studied it, maybe you've even took the time to ponder some of those verses, I guarantee you, you do it every day, a new, a new thought will come to you. It just won't be repetition. The Lord will see to it. You have a new thought for that chapter every day. And so you want the word a part of you. 
You just don't want to get smarter with facts and with, um, you know, information. You want the word to become a part of you. So like James will say tonight, don't just be hearers, don't just be readers, but do do it. And that's when you're going to watch the transform transformation in your life. So anyway, James chapter 1. And for, for some of you, um, I don't know if you knew this, and I think a little background is, is so important, especially with James, because James was Jesus' brother. Jesus, um, you know, obviously Jesus' father was, of course, he was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he was born of the Virgin Mary. But um, after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had other children, and James was one of the brothers that grew up with Jesus. And he really thought that Jesus was quite a joke. And in fact, one of the Gospels even says that, that um, his, his brothers didn't even believe in him. I mean, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't ever consider that he could be the promised one, the Messiah. To them, he was just probably a pain in the neck. In fact, he probably was such a pain in the neck because he, he never did anything wrong. Can you imagine what that must have been like for his other brothers and sisters? Oh, brother. So anyway, um, there, was, there was not good feelings. And, and to me, that's exciting because the next time we read about James after the Gospels and we know his feelings for Jesus, the next time we hear about James is in the book of Acts. And this is when, when James is in that company of like 120 and they were, they were commanded, or Jesus said, go to this room and stay there. And they prayed continuously and waited for the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended. And, and he said, now go to that room, and, and you wait, and you pray. And they, they were a part. He was a part of that 120. Now, what happened? What happened between the time when he was cynical and sarcastic to the time that he's a part of that group of 120. And if, if anything, it shows what Jesus came to do. And that is to change hearts. To change people from what they were to, to who they are now. I mean, he was changed. When did that happen? I always say for myself, I, do you ever think about who you're going to talk to in heaven, you know, when there's going to be no more time? So, you know, we'll be able to really meet people like Peter and John and James. And I, it's almost too much for your brain to even comprehend. Can you imagine talking to Paul? Oh, man, it's just going to be something. I mean, obviously, Jesus will be the one that we see first, and that's who we long to see. Um, but to think that we will be able to meet these real people. But James is one, I, I must say, James is one I can't wait to sit down with and say, tell me your story. Revelation talks about the table of testimony. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but it sure would be wonderful if there was a table that people sat around and gave their testimonies 
of how they came to know Christ. We all know that they, we all are in heaven. We're all a part of the new heaven and new earth oh, for one reason and one reason only is that we've come to the cross of Christ and accepted him as our personal savior and, and, and he became real to us and we had a relationship and we walked with him day by day. I mean, that those are the terms. Those were the terms that God set up that we could be bought back. We could be into a relationship with an almighty God again, but it was only through Jesus. Salvation is found in none other. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So it's very clear there's no other way to salvation, but the fact is it will be interesting to know how, you know, we all have a story. Like it was here or it was in this place or it was this person that, that sat down with me. And, and we'll all have a story. And James is one that I can't wait to hear because something extraordinary happened from the time that he was with Jesus till the time he was in that other room. So when did Jesus stop being his half-brother and became his savior? When, when did that happen? What, what did that look like? In fact, James ended up to be the head of the Jerusalem church. That's quite a radical change in someone. And when you think about the five chapters that we're going to be going through, how could, you know, what happened that he could write such five chapters of no nonsense? There is no, there is nothing frivolous. There is, there's nothing. He wrote five chapters that he has more in those five chapters. And I would dare say, too, that he wrote about things that he might have had problems with himself. You know, you know we all have weaknesses. We all, we all, we know where our human nature just wants to get the best of us. When we know the weakness that will try to push the Holy Spirit off the throne of our life and want to, and we want to be in charge. We all have these, these weaknesses. And so, um, you know, what really happened to him that he wants to talk about probably some of the weaknesses that he had that he found that, that the Lord gave him the ability to overcome. And now he's given us advice because they're plain old things. They're the plain old same kinds of things that we all battle with. So with that in mind, just picture him. I, I always love to picture. And I picture James tonight. And he is wanting us to, first of all, he wants us to meet our Savior, and he wants us to hear the instructions. But I think James also would just love us to appreciate what happened to him. I think he, if he could walk in the door right now and he could give his testimony, he would want us to see, I used to be this, and now I know this. I mean, that, isn't that our whole goal that all of us can say, I used to be like this? But because of Jesus and because of the study of his word and listening and obeying his instruction, I watch, I watch him change me. So now here we go. James, a servant, a servant of God. Did you notice he did not say James, 
a half-brother. I mean, by this time, James knows the most important thing he could have as a title is a, be to be a servant of God, a servant of the Lord Jesus. That's a change heart. And then he goes on and to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. 12 tribes, that was another term used for um, the Jewish people as a whole. Now, even though James obviously is communicating to Jew and Gentile, of course, in this, this book, he, he knows he was brought up a Jew, he is a Jew, and his heart's desire, like Jesus, was that the Jews would find Jesus the way he did. And we know from studying the book of Acts that that wasn't so. And so uh, the, the longing that the Jewish people would, would find Jesus and stop being just so um, religious, zealously religious in their legalism, and they would find the freedom in Christ. Greetings. Consider it pure joy my brothers. Now, when he says my brothers, you know he's talking about fellow believers. He's, when he says brothers, he's really encompassing sisters too. So, you know, we don't have to feel slighted. This, this book is for us too. And so when he says, consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever. Now, catch, the, catch James' um, words. Watch when he puts words like whenever, when he isn't going to allow you to have any excuses. Um, you know, he will use all-inclusive words. Consider pure joy, my brother, whenever, whenever you face trials. So whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. Now, that can be absolutely a ridiculous statement if you don't know what joy is. If you're associating joy and happiness, if you're, if you're combining those two words thinking that they're, they're synonyms and, and you can use them interchangeably here. No, he didn't say happy. Consider it happy when you face trials of many kinds. No, he used the word joy because I believe James finally understood what joy really is. It's not a happy emotion when everything is going fine. No, he, he really makes you and I see that you can have joy. Consider joy when you face trials. I think James found out that, that he discovered joy much deeper and more in a more real way the more he suffered, the more he had hard times. That's when he could identify because joy is not this emotion. Joy is a person. It's a relationship with Jesus himself. And that no matter what trial, no matter what you're going through, you will always, you can always know that he is there and that no one, no one or no circumstance can ever take him away. So 
Consider joy that you're not going to have to go through these trials by yourself. No, you have a Savior. In fact, under the power of God's Spirit himself, he is there. I always go back to Isaiah 43. You know, he, he's, when the Lord says, I've formed you, I've created you, I've summoned you by name, you are mine. And when you go through the waters and the rivers and the fire, I'll be there. I'll tell you, that, those couple of verses, they, they show me every fruit of God's spirit. To be able to hear the Lord say, because that's the way that, that chapter starts in Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. I've formed you. I've created you. And you can almost hear, I love you. I've summoned you by name. You belong to me. You're my child. And, and so, and when life happens, because it does, I mean, what joy to be able to think you're not going through those waters and rivers and fire alone, but what joy it is also to know that he's real. And that it is, it is joy-filled. So it's that relationship. That's why James learned that. I learned that through my sufferings and trials, it deepened my knowing him. The power of the resurrection changed me. But realizing and studying and getting to know him better shows me that that's joy. And when we throw up our hands, when we run to the Lord Jesus, it Unfortunately, we don't do that as quickly when things are all going our way. So James is saying, consider pure joy when you go through trials because you're running to them. Your hands are up. You can't do it without them. And you know what? Consider that joy that you finally realize that again. I think, I think James learned that. I think he learned it the hard, hard way, just like many of us have to. Man, we don't volunteer for sufferings and trials. We don't. But if we all would stop and look back, we could see we grew the most because we were desperate enough. So consider pure joy, my brothers, because you're going to learn so much. You're going to know him so much better. And you're going to experience what he's promised you. And he says, you can consider pure joy because you know what's going to happen to you? You know. See, when, when James says that, Paul says that a lot too. You know. In other words, he's expecting us to know this. You know that sufferings are good for us. No, they're not happy, but you can find joy in it because he is there with you. And I mean, he said, you know that. So you know that the testing of your faith, you know that the testing of your faith, because that's what, that's what a trial is, that's what suffering is, it's testing you. And we don't always like to think that, that some of the hardships and some of our sufferings, we don't want to think that, that the Lord is responsible for some of them. But you know what? He knows we need discipline. He knows we, we need him to grab us around the neck and get our attention. And because of his love for us, he knows he has to do what he has to do 
to make sure that we do not fall back on that track of self. He said, you know that. And he said, I am just reminding you that when you are tested, when your faith is being tested, when your emotions want to get bigger than your faith, when you're starting to feel yourself just being overtaken by life, you're just overwhelmed, and you're even, you're even thinking about throwing in the towel, I can't handle this anymore. He said, come on, you know. You know who your God is. You know what he's promised you. He said, look, when you are tested, when your faith is being tested, it develops something. And you can't get enough of this. And that is perseverance. In perseverance, I looked it up just to make sure that I knew what that word meant. And perseverance is just, well... He wants us to make sure that, that we know that we're going to be tough and continue an effort to do something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. I'll read that again to you. Perseverance is, Paul says, you know, you know that if you connect with God's spirit, you can continue an effort to do something despite difficulties. And what is, I looked this up in the, in the, um, in the dictionary, so of course they're not going to say what we know, and that is we're a continued effort to live right. That we, we don't give up, that, that we don't get discouraged and we let our, our emotions overtake us. Perseverance is when we and you and I decide to continue the effort, because it is effort, We've got to work at this. It's much easier to hop on the inner tube and go down the river and see the sights along the way. And boys think, oh, this is grand life. And then, but I'll tell you, it will never end right. The walk with the Lord is like, and I say this so many times, it's because I need this visual. It's like getting on an inner tube along that same piece of water, but know that you've got to swim against the current. So you've got to want it bad to be able to continue to make the effort to stay in your Bibles, to commit to discipline and to study and to even come out when sometimes we'd rather be home. Sometimes we just need to say there's nothing. In fact, I said it to a couple of people tonight. It says, can you think of anything that you could be doing tonight that's better than this? I mean, I don't think there is anything better that you and I could be doing than to getting to know him better, to get into his word, to, to almost sense his hands on your cheeks saying, I love you and I'm talking to you now. Listen to me. I want the best for you. And this is the best instruction book there is. I want you to be able to live full and content and satisfied and powerful I don't want you to, to be falling under the pressure of all the world and all the news. I want you to feel my strength. you got to persevere. And he's, he's a, that's why I consider pure joy when he loves you enough that he's saying, I want to test your faith because it's so easy to talk it. It's so easy to rattle off the church lingo. But I'm going to test your faith to see if you really do 
what you are so good at talking about? Can you live under the pressure of life with perseverance, that you're willing to make the effort to live right and to be obedient to his word, despite how hard it is and the failures or the opposition. Another word the dictionary used was steadfast. I like that word. Perseverance is that you're steadfast. God said it. The Bible says, and you are standing on that. And you are not swayed by today's culture. And you're not swayed by the, the new, all the changes that are happening in this world. That some of us just, our jaws drop. We can't believe it. That's why we need this no-nonsense book. So when he says, you know that your faith will develop your, your, your real faith will develop this perseverance. Per, per, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking nothing. Boy, that is powerful. That should be a goal. It should be worth committing to, to this book and to Bible study and whatever. It should be so worth it because perseverance leads to what? Don't you want to be mature? I want my spiritual life to be mature. I don't want to act like a, a little kid. And when things don't go my way, I just have my little tantrums. And I just shake my fists. And how come you didn't come through for me and you were supposed to do? No. Mature is when you say, I trust you. I don't always like what, you, what your will is, but I trust your will. Isn't that what we want, that we can stay on our feet and we find that we crumble less because we are mature and we're complete? Oh, man, I'm a far cry from that, but it sure is a goal. It's kind of like when we ended last week, you know, when we ended the book of Philippians, you know, when, when, when Paul said, one thing I just won't do is go backward. I want to keep pressing on. I want to keep straining toward the goal. And isn't that the goal is that we mature, that we don't crumble, that our faith is solid, and that we feel his strength, and we learn to plug into his spirit instead of falling under the pressure of self. James got this because he's saying, I used to be like that. And I think every one of us can say the same thing. I used to be like that. And now I can sense that I can get up in the morning knowing he's there. I can go to bed at night knowing he's there. And all through the day, he never left me. I want to be able to stand firm, to be steadfast. I don't want to lack anything. I don't want to lack anything that he offers me. And if you really wanted to list all what he offers you and I, if we really experienced everything that he has offered us, 
I don't think we'd be able to believe the person we see in the mirror and the strength that we get and the confidence. See, I think James knows that when he used to be sarcastic and he used to be, you know, nasty, I think he knows I was just covering up for who was really bugging me on the inside. And you just need to kind of get honest with yourself. I, I just, I want to be, I want to be real. I, want, I don't want to be child, I don't want to be childish. I want to be mature. I want to be complete and I want to lack nothing. I want all that he offers me. But you know what? He doesn't just give it to us. He makes us work for it. I mean, he makes us study. There's so many things since I started studying God's word. I didn't know that he offered that to me. I didn't know that he had that for for me. Some things he says, go dig and find it. Find out all what I have for you, what, what my will for you is. My will for you is that you're complete and that you're mature and that you lack nothing, that no matter what happens in the world, you are steadfast. This sure sounds good, doesn't it? Well, he, he just keeps going by saying, well, you want to know how that happens? It all, it all sounds good to be able to have that, that kind of perseverance and that kind of maturity and that kind of completeness and that kind of steadfastness and lacking nothing. And, man, that sounds good. How do you, well, he says, ask me and I'll be glad to tell you. Any of you who lacks wisdom, if you don't know how to persevere and become mature and complete and lacking nothing, he says, that means you like wisdom, then you come to me. If any of you lacks wisdom, what does he offer you? And make, maybe, maybe you need a, a definition for wisdom. Maybe, um, you know what I found out in my studying this week is that I found knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is good. But, but knowledge is still pretty much um, basically... Raw information. Nothing wrong with it. You know, this kind of helps me differentiate between the two. Knowledge is just raw information, and I need that. I want, I want information. But wisdom, and that's why he uses this word. Wisdom is when we want to know how to use that information. That... He says, if you, if you lack wisdom, that's taking what you know and using it and putting it into practice. So he says, if you are lacking wisdom, ask, and he will give generously to just a few favorites. Is that what it says? He will give, gen- he will give wisdom generously to who? All. So there isn't one of you sitting here. There's me. If you really want to know, 
I mean, you all know the verse. If you seek, you will find. I mean, Jesus said that. So, But he can tell if you really are seeking or not. He can tell if you really want to know. He says, if any of you want to know and you lack the wisdom to really want to know how to live like this, you know, complete, mature, lack nothing, if you really want a life with real steadfastness and really want to know, then ask me, and I will not only give you the knowledge, but I will show you how to use it. So, all you have to do is ask, and he will give any one of us. He will give it to us generously, and he will give it in a way that, I liked it when it says, he won't find fault. In other words, have you ever not asked a question because you were so sure it was going to be really dumb or really stupid? And, and you, you didn't want to be embarrassed because I'm sure everybody else has the answer. So, you know, I'm not going to ask it. And then you think of all what we've missed because we've been embarrassed to ask. I think that's why James inserted that. If you, if you really, if you lack wisdom, if you really want to know, then ask. And he will give it generously to all without finding fault. You will never hear God say, oh, for crying out loud. You shouldn't have known that by now. Or, or you know, may, he might have thought you should have known that by now. But, you know, he will, he will just keep making sure and keep telling us until we finally, well, it's not just raw knowledge. It's not just raw information. He says, now you want it to be wisdom. Now you want that information so that you can use it. So that it can work with you. That it can be what changes you. That you're going to do it differently than what you would have done it before. But when he asks, we must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. What a description. If you don't really believe that he wants to give you wisdom. But now remember, he, you, don't, you don't just put a little hole in your head and put a funnel in there and he just drops it all in there. No, he's talking about are you willing to make the effort? Are you willing? Do you want it bad enough to work at this? So, you know, when you go into God's word and you really want to know, you can't say, well, I just got about two minutes to quick read that devotional, and that should be good for the day. And he ought to just be so glad I gave him a minute and a half to two minutes. And I don't think that's what he's saying. You want to know you're willing to give him the time. Because sometimes it does take time. That's part of the effort. It's knowing that this is so important that you can put something else aside. Don't doubt. Don't doubt that if you spend the time, you will, if you really seek, don't doubt that you're not going to find. James says, I want to make sure that when you do ask, when you really desire, that you believe that he can't wait to tell you. He wants you to know him better. He wants you to be able to live steadfastly in this kind of world that, that wants to toss you all around. 
He wants you so confident. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You know, when he painted that picture you, with that wave going, I mean, there's no foundation. You're just, you know, you're just swaying around. And tonight when we say cornerstone, it's just like it settles you. Your foundation is that cornerstone, and through the storm, you stand firm. Be sure, be sure. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. What in the world? What in the world does that mean? The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich in other words, the one in the high position should take pride in his low position. And I think our human minds always goes to material things. But he's saying, whoever, whoever might think that, well, he couldn't possibly, he couldn't possibly take me the way I am. He couldn't possibly take this mess of a life and accept me as one of his. And then there's the other person who thinks, well, you know, I'm so glad that he died on the cross. I'm so glad he didn't have to die quite as seriously for me. I know that sounds horrible, but a lot of times we don't appreciate the suffering and the, and the death of Christ because down deep, we still think we're kind of good. And that's why I repeat, no matter what study we're doing, is that there isn't a one of us, whether they're in that position of thinking that they made such a mess of their lives, they couldn't possibly come to the cross of Christ and have them have open arms. Or there, there's the person who just, oh, I'm so glad for Christ for what Christ did, but, you know, oh, I just love to watch these lowly people come. Oh, I love those stories. Now, everybody, that's why he says, the brother who is in humble circumstances should just be thrilled of his position at the cross. Because Jesus took him and lifted him to the place of Calvary. And he's standing there just awed by, oh, he took me just as I was. But then James says, yeah, but there's another, there's another, the brother who thinks, who is rich and, you know, is kind of trusting all of his good works and maybe his good, you know, all of his, all the things that he's achieved and all those kinds of things. And you get, you know, you sometimes think, and this is why going through the letters of Ephesians and Philippians was so beneficial because, you know, Paul really made us see because he said, if anybody could have boasted about their credentials, it was me. Remember when Paul said that? 
And he listed them all. Man, I was, I was born the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. And, and I was studied under Gamaliel. I was, I was top of my class at Pharisee University. And I, I was one. And he lists all that. As far as, he says, and as far as obeying the, all those 700-some laws, I was blameless. Listen to him. You know, and that's, that's sometimes the mentality of people maybe who've been raised in the church or maybe have achieved a lot and all that kind of thing. You know, they, they take all the credit for themselves, not, not taking the verse that James is eventually going to say, anything good about you is from me. So sometimes, you know, they need a humbling because, you see, you have, we, all have to, we all have to come to the cross and take that walk the same way, no matter who you are. And that's why James is making it so clear, whether you just think that that's not possible because of the mess you made of your life, or you think of all the good you've done in your life. Nope, he's saying, I got to raise this one, and I got to take this one down, because they're going to all take that same walk the same way. And that's humbly. I can't say it enough. I say it all the time, and I don't mind repeating, that your salvation day starts out to be the worst day of your life. I know, and I know that that sounds awful, but it has to. On the day of your salvation, it starts out just horrible because now you have finally seen yourself for what you truly are. It's like all of a sudden the mirror just told you all the real facts. And it just, he just humbled you to the reality of without a savior, you're lost. I believe these are what these this is what these verses are about. You, we all have to start our salvation day the same way. And then the more you take, the more you go down that walk, the more you walk to the cross, and your goal, of course, is to see him standing there just welcoming you. And, and then all of a sudden, we just come in our humility. And I think that's why there's always... When people come to Christ, if you ever watch somebody come to the altar, and why there's always tears. It seems like so many people are crying when they come to Christ. Whenever I see that, I just, I think, yeah, because you, you finally saw yourself. And to think that he's standing there with open arms ready. And then, of course, it turns into the best day of your life, a day that you will never forget, a day that now you realize that you've been redeemed, you've been reinstated, you've been bought back. He says, I just want to remind you, because the one who is rich and should take pride in his low position, because he will, he will pass away like a wildflower, he will pass away like a wildflower. You know, he, you are, and I am, we're all going to leave this earth unless the Lord comes first. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, there isn't any one of us that can escape that. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plants, blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. If he does not realize who he really is, 
that is such a sad verse that that rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business and he doesn't even realize what's going to happen. Boy, James really knuckles it in there. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, see, there's that word again. Blessed is the man. You know, it almost, it almost sounds like another beatitude, doesn't it? You know, from Matthew 5, we, we always, blessed are those who, this is just like another blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. And that doesn't say, blessed, blessed is the man who never experiences a trial. It doesn't say blessed is the man who conquers life well. No, he says blessed is the man who perseveres, who makes the effort to go after something worthwhile, even though it's tough, who perseveres unto trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He says, I, whenever I see in the Bible that he will bless, I just want to make sure that we get past that we're so blessed with, you know, make sure that, well, it's like what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, that you have every spiritual blessing from the heavenly realms. Remember when we listed that, all the spiritual blessings that we've been given. And this is the blessing, I think, that James wants us to see. I know that many of us can count our blessings. You know, we, we're in here tonight. We're free. We have wonderful families. We have a home. We woke up this morning breathing air. I mean, you know, yeah, we've been. But the kind of blessings, he says, the kind of blessings whenever you see the Beatitudes, you see him say, you will be blessed. He's not talking about the blessings that this world can give us. He's talking about the blessings that only he can give us. Like living every day knowing that you have been bought back, you have been restored, you've been forgiven, you've got a future home. There is definitely more to life than this. You have a relationship you have fellowship with an almighty God through his spirit that, that resides inside of you. That's the way to live. That is the way to really live. If you want to know life to the fullest, it's not how many things you have. It's the, it, it has to do with how much you understand your restoration, your redemption, your forgiveness, your, your salvation, your future home, that day-to-day -day walk with God's spirit. He said, you'll be blessed. That is the way to really live. It's not a surviving, getting up in the morning, I hope I make it through another day. No. No, he said, you'll be blessed. You persevere under that trial. You with all your heart believe by faith. If this is a test, and you are not going to crumble under this test. In fact, your faith is going to grow because of it. You're going you're gonna to feel stronger. 
just think, when, you, when we stand the test, when we get through the trial and we, we've remained steadfast and we do not succumb under the human nature emotions that just want to overpower us and take us down and make us feel defeated. He says, you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. You're going to experience what real life is. The crown of life that we're heirs to his kingdom. We're his child. We are royalty. Once you belong to him and you are steadfast in that truth, you and I wear the crown of life. This is what gets us up in the morning. This gives us a whole new worth and purpose. James is saying, I'm going to tell you how to live. I'm going to tell you how to live big. And now let life beat you. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. I think we, we better just make sure we know the difference between a trial and a temptation. A trial is... What the Lord uses to test us. I don't know if you want to say it. I, I dare say it. I dare say, I dare say that trials come from him because he wants to test my faith. Now, he will never tempt. He will never use evil. So to, so to the person that says, oh, well, then, then 9-11 was God, that was God's fault. God would never use two e all those evil men to plow and into those buildings, and he would never use he would never do anything like that. He would never use evil. It's like human nature. He's, uh, we have to see how bad human nature really is without a savior. This is this is evil. This is evil. We have all all kinds of people. And believe it or not, even when we put self on the throne of our life and we want to call the shots and we put, put, push God, God away, do you know that's evil? We can even be evil. Hate what is evil. I hate it when you would think you're the boss instead of our Lord Jesus. Hate it when you see that happen. But you know what I also could see? I, I see this so often. That the Lord, my phrase is, no, of course he would never use evil. But you know what? After it happens, after he's kind of saying, okay, you think you know better, and there's going to be consequences to sin, because that's the way I set it up way back in Genesis 3, so that shouldn't surprise you. When evil people do evil things, there's going to be consequences. But then you know what I can hear God say? I can turn this for good. Isn't that marvelous? So, what is the difference between a trial and a temptation? A trial is what the Lord knows we need. He knows we need the sufferings. Because that's when we throw up our hands. And we surrender. And we get desperate for him. A temptation 
tell you what, there's just no other expl- explanation for temptation is that the, that's the enemy himself. He loves to tempt. And you know that he uses the same thing that he used in Genesis 3. I'm telling you, he is, can- he is so clever. He will use our own self. That's his trump card. Remember when he said, remember when he said, this is how he started. Did God really say? Did God really say? Um, you know, so there, there's that little seed of doubt. Uh-huh. But then, then he did say, yes, he did say. He said, oh, you know what he meant. He just didn't want you turning out like him. He knew that if you ate of that tree of knowledge, you're going to be just as smart as he is. Gonna be just like him. Oh, you know, right then self was born. Self was self was not had nothing to do in in creation and in the garden in those first two chapters. There was no such thing as selfishness. That's why it was so perfect. But the second he used that trump card and caused a little bit of doubt and made you feel like you were good in and of yourself and he's still doing that today and he'll tempt us and he makes it look so desirable I'd say it's as desirable as taking a piece of chocolate cake in front in front of somebody who's on a diet he it's he knows just exactly he knows us he really does he knows our weaknesses and he will dangle that bait in front of us. Now, he can make a sin. Now, that's why, that's why James wants us to make sure. You can't ever say the devil made me do it. I couldn't help it because I'm just human. How many of you used that excuse before? I'm only human. What do you expect? James is going to tell you right here and there that that is no excuse. Because you know the verse as well as I do. Greater is he. Greater is he. Because remember on the day of your salvation, what does Paul say, Ephesians 1.13? On the day that, you, you know, you want to be included in Christ, well, when you heard about a Savior, you chose to believe it. And then on that very day of your salvation, the Holy Spirit jumped from the shoulder into your heart, and now he's possessing you. And greater is the Holy Spirit that, that is inside of you than he that is just in the world. I'll tell you, once the Holy Spirit is inside of you, Satan can ever possess you. Isn't that so comforting? Once Jesus has taken a hold of your heart, Satan cannot possess you. Now he can make it pretty hard. He can put those dark claws into your shoulders and try to manipulate you and, and kind of veer you around. But all he's trying to get you to see is what you want and what you deserve. And, and that's his trump card. And that's how he tempts us. And James says, don't ever think God would never do that to you. He said, you're dragged. You, when each one is tempted by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James says, I'm just going to take a few, few little lines there and tell you where that little sin that you don't think is so bad, well, guess where it leads. Maybe not physical death, but maybe it would be, maybe it'll land in the death of a relationship or, or, no, it just will not end in a good place. 
So whenever you're tempted, when he, when he entices you, saying, you can do it, that's okay. It's not that big a deal. No one's going to know. Oh, he's such a liar. He is such a liar. And we are so gullible. And when we're not connected to the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, our human nature, I don't care how good people we are, down we go. James says, I know that. I experienced that. And I'm just going to take a few lines to make sure you, you are reminded of that. What's the difference between a trial and a temptation? Okay, I'll just use this as an example. You fit your own in there. Okay, when life hits you in, a, in kind of a surprise, whether it's a doctor's appointment or, you know, a diagnosis or loss of a loved one or when something just throws a big old curve at you, how do you know if, how do you know if it's, how do I know if it's, this is a trial of the Lord to test my faith so that I can know what he promised and I can remain steadfast through it all because I'm learning that I can trust in Jesus. I'm learning I can depend on his word. I mean, or, or, or is this a temptation? Is this a temptation of the devil to bring me down? To make me, because, see, once, once the Holy Spirit lives within us, you know, our salvation is secure. And Satan can't own us anymore. But, boy, he sure can make it so that we're very ineffective. That we're not going to bring anybody else along with us because we look like such a bunch of sad sacks. And we're so, we're so, you know, low and we're so down and, you know, we're so doom and gloom and I'll tell you anybody anybody want to come along with that kind of attitude oh yeah but you wear the name Christian on the back of you but you wear that kind of demeanor and that kind of lack of trust this is what James is talking about you can have it both ways So how do you know if it's a trial of the Lord to grow you and mature you and complete you so you lack nothing? Or is this a temptation for Satan to just make you so ineffective that you're not taking anybody along? You know, when I found out that there was going to be no more singing and my voice was never going to be the same again, and I was just going to have to wake up every morning wondering what was going to come out of my mouth when I've been, you know, Almost 60 years being very confident that every time I open my mouth, this voice would come out. And now, every day, I don't know. <laughs> How do I know that this is, this whole thing is trial of the Lord to make me stronger, to be able to show me that his will is perfect even when I don't like it or can't even make any sense out of it. Or is, this a or is this a temptation of the Lord to get me to close my Bible and to quit and say, well, it was a good career. It was a great time. Oop, but I'm done now. Now, I'm not going to trust. No, sir. No, I'm going to let the young people take over now. 
I'd say 52 years, that, that's good. It's good ministry. Golf quiz. Oh, he would have he would have loved it. So how do I know if this is a trial of the Lord or it's a temptation of the devil? Big question, isn't it? And then, like I said, you fit in your with the thing that is this a temptation of the devil that's trying to make me so ineffective, so I'm walking around with such doom and gloom and give up and quit and or is this a trial of the Lord that he's gonna use this to make me strong? How do you know? How did I know? I'll tell you the answer is really simple. It's your call. Whatever you want it to be. It's your call. If you want it to be a temptation and you just want self on the throne thinking, oh good, this is my excuse. I quit. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to work this hard. I don't know what's going to come out of my vo my voice in the morning anyway, and, and then you know, and then you start talking, and you know, you poor people have had that have had to listen to my all my different kinds of voices. But you know what? I was starting to let that fool with my head, and then and I could see the devil was just thinking they don't want to listen to that. Look at they can hardly hear you now, and over here you're gagging so much they can't even. They, yeah, who's going to want to come to that study? He plays with your head. That's what he does, that lousy devil. That's his tempting way. Just quit. Oh, it probably was a temptation of the devil. But which, which one do you want? It's, it's whatever one you decide. And I decided right then and there that he had too much invested in me. He just wanted me to trust him more. Because you know what? I was kind of trusting my voice a little bit more than him. Didn't even know it. Didn't even realize that I was putting more trust in, in my big voice than I was in him. The only time I really, really thought I had to pray about it is when I would have to do a concert and I either had pneumonia or I had laryngitis or something like that. Oh, then, oh, Lord, you're going to have to come through. Because I don't have it. Pretty sick, isn't it? So I think one day he said, well, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have to do this to you, but I'm taking away. I'm going to show you that you can trust me. And as long as I have a job for you to do, I will see to it. You will have what it takes. You don't have to trust your voice. You just trust me. That was major for me. I'm just telling you, mine. every one of you has something that he's putting you on that type of rope saying, which way are you going to go? You're going to let it be you, or are you going to say, Lord, use me, whatever. Because you know, I don't care as long as you have breath, he still wants to use you. Because when he's done using you, he'll take you. He'll take you to glory. But as long as you have breath, you still have something to serve him with. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be a trial or is it going to be a temptation? And to think that he plunks it right, all, right in front of us and says, okay, your call. What do you want? Do you want it to grow? Yeah. Or do you, do you want to just sink and quit and go down and be defeated? Okay. And then he says, don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What does he want you and I to know? <laughs> is it don't ever get too smart for your britches. Because I'll tell you, anything good that we are, 
is because of him. Every good gift that we have. So don't bust your arm trying to pat yourself on the back how good you are. Give all praise to the one who gave you the gift. And just remember that he does not change. He does not change. I love that when he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. A shadow is an absence of light. And so we want to be able to have our confidence that every gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose to give you and I salvation, to make a way for us to have a relationship with him again. He chose us to give us birth. This is that, you know, with Nicodemus and Jesus, that chat that they had. And Jesus says, you must be born again. That little chat was so important. <laughs> Through the word of truth, God's word, that every word is true, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Oh, he just wants us, he wants our life to bring him glory. And and then because of our lives, I think the first fruit thing, I think he's saying, because you are willing to live your life for me, some people came along. Because of you, because, because you let your light so shine. And you brought people along and someone wanted Jesus because of your life. What a privilege, what an opportunity that is that he can see a harvest from our life. My dear brothers, take note of this. Take note of this. Everyone, there's your all-inclusive, so no exceptions here. Every one of us, I don't care how eloquent you are at speaking, everyone should be quick to listen first. Quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry. Dear brothers, I want you to take note of this. Write it down. Put it on the refrigerator or magnet if you have to. Make sure that this is what's going to show your right living. Be quick to listen. Care for people. Listen to their story. Don't be ready to pounce with your two cents because then you're not half listening to them. I had to learn that. I have to admit. My husband is here, and I'm sure you would just love to say amen right now because he knows. He's lived with me 49 years, and he knows the adjustments that this book has had to make, and this is one of them. And Ben James is talking to you and I, and he says, listen, be quick. Be quick to listen. Don't you just love it when somebody looks at you straight in the face and wants to hear what you've got to say? God, that's good. We all love that. And Jesus said, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to become angry because that kind of, that kind of emotion 
like if a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, I know it's emotion that God's created us with. He created us with these emotions, and there are time, there is times that, that anger is a permissible emotion when we are to, you know, very much get mad at the sin in this world and the spiral that we see. Leaders that are going down the wrong path, bringing people along as blind guides. We can be, just like Jesus, flip those tables. But James is talking about the emotion, the, the short fuse. When all of a sudden, you know, out it comes. No control. You're mad. And then, you know what? You say things. You do things. And that's what James says. I think, I think right here James is saying, I know. I learned this the hard way. I was kind of a mouthy kid. I loved talking all the time. I didn't care enough about people to listen. And I got mad at a short fuse, and out those words came. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous light that God desires. That kind of anger is self-centered. It's all about you. That's basically what it is. And he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of it. Take a look at your life, seeing what you're harboring in that heart. See what you think you're getting away with. Think and remember that God sees everything. Get rid of that moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. You think he just wrote this yesterday, don't you think? You'd almost think James just wrote this. And humbly, instead of, you know, let me, let me repeat it. Get rid of the, the moral filth and the evil that is all around us. He says, don't just join in and compromise and go along with it. But rather humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Not only save you for salvation purposes, but save you from saying things, doing things that you wish you hadn't as soon as it's done. Except instead of, of short views and impulsive mouth, I think James says, I had that problem. Instead, listen to the Holy Spirit humbly remind you who you belong to, and who you're supposed to live for, and that he can see your heart, he can hear what you're saying. And he'll, he'll save you from disappointing the one that you're supposed to love the most. And who saved you? Do not merely listen to the word. Don't just listen to the word and read it quick and so deceive yourself. In other words, that doesn't do it. Oh, I am such a firm believer. I know the difference now between reading and studying. Don't just sit there and listen and yeah, 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 and then quick read it. You know, I committed to this um, years, year of reading my Bible through, and I don't care if I don't understand a word of this, but, but at least I, at the end of the day, I did it. James says, don't just do that. <laughs> 
because you're deceiving yourself. It's not doing one bit of good to you. It's not changing your heart. You're not hearing him actually speak to you. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his mirror, look, looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What a great illustration. But the man who looks intently, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, which is God's word, this is where you can kind of some change some words now and then just to make sure you understand when he says the perfect law, he's talking about his perfect book. The man who looks intently, making an effort, making a priority, really desiring to want to know. Not just facts, not just raw knowledge, but I want the wisdom to be able to know how to work this. The man who looks intently into the perfect law to do this and continues to do this. Another, I like the way he put that quickly in there too. It is not just a one-time thing. Oh, you did good on Monday, but Tuesday was a little shaky. No, he says, but the man who looks intently into God's word that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And now we've been through what that word blessed means. That doesn't mean that your life's going to be, you know, just perfect and everything's going to go just the way you want. No. You know God's character, God's character because he loves you. He's saying you'll be blessed with the confidence that I'm up to something in your life. And I want you to fulfill what I created you for. We'll be blessed. When you're in the center of God's will, believe me, you will be blessed. That should be on our lips. We should do that the first thing in the morning. Lord, may this day, may I stay in your will today. May nothing, may I not, because of my human self, want to step out of your will, thinking I know better. I want at the end of this day to know that I watched you bless me because I made the effort to stay in your will, to do it your way, to listen to your voice. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. <laughs> yeah, I think James was mouthy. I think he just loved it to just be some smart mouth. Have all the answers all the time. But he still say it was a cover. But I think he, did, he didn't understand that till he really met his Savior, his own brother. But if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tyrant on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. It's worthless, and I don't care how many good deeds you do, it's useless. Because you're doing it for self, you're not doing it for him. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is, this is how you know if your religion, and Christianity is religion. It is. 
Christianity is a religion. Our religion is called Christian because we have chosen to follow Christ. Because religion means I religiously. So religion, the religion that God accepts is Christianity, a follower of Christ. And how do you know if you're the real deal? And uses this example. Because you're pure and faultless. You look after orphans and widows in their distress. And, you know, I don't think that he's just using that as an example. He pretty much, he wants you and I to see what can widows and orphans give back. Because he says, I'm just checking to see if you're willing to give of yourself and expect nothing in return. See, because that, that's Christianity. That's following Jesus. That's being selfless instead of selfish. That's having the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you instead of the fruit of self. Because when you care for someone who cannot give it back to you, there's, there's no conditions attached. Oh, I'll do it for you, but I expect this in return. No, he says, a real religion, a re real Christianity is when the Holy Spirit is just telling you to love and give and you expect nothing in return. That's the real test. Because a lot of times we have some conditions. That's human nature for you. And we're fighting it every second of every day. But he accepts us. He loves it when we are willing to just follow him with no strings attached. Do and act like Jesus did. No strings attached. And then when he says, and, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How can you tell? And we end with this. How can we tell if we're the real deal? It's because we find that we're selfless. And we want to live right. Isn't that something? Yeah, we're real when we can honestly say that we we want to be selfless. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. And when you're willing to see that you do desire to live right. You want to live the way he has told us that he expects us to live in view of what he did for us. This is what he expects from us is to offer ourselves back to him. That's when you know. This chapter was loaded. Father, we thank you for loading this chapter up and these five chapters up with real living, how to deal with life, how to live life full and abundant and content and blessed and sure. Father, I thank you for certain songs that just kind of put the icing on the cake. How do I know? I want to be like Fanny Crosby, who in all of her conditions, she could have shook her fist in your 
faced one disappointment after another, but instead because of God's word and a grandma who kept teaching her God's word, she was able to say, I am sure that you are up to something. Perfect submission. All is fine. Because no one or nothing can take away my joy in Jesus. Father, if we would live like that, I think people would come along. People would definitely ask why we are living so different in this world. And we'd be able to share. In his name is Jesus.